On this edition of the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast, we talk to Mr. Bob Woodman from Bob Woodman Tires. He is an expert in all things race tire, and we know how much people love race tires. That is the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast, episode 44. Hey gang, JG Pastor Jack here with the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast. Uh, good show today. Bob Woodman, Bob Woodman Tire on the show. This is actually a continuation of something that uh, you may have seen in the magazine, or actually you will see in the magazine in the May 2015 issue. Um, if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out, then uh, you'll be seeing the, some of this. Uh, the, the, you'll, you'll be seeing the print version of this story in the uh, the May 2015 issue. Uh, basically, you, actually, let's let's back up a little bit. This is a Grassroots Motorsports podcast. We are a podcast companion to Grassroots Motorsports Magazine and Classic Motorsports Magazine. If you want to subscribe to Grassroots Motorsports or Classic Motorsports, just go to Grassroots Motorsports. Ugh, that's a lot of stuff in your mouth. Grassrootsmotorsports.com slash discount. Classicmotorsports.net slash discount. Just going to one of those two URLs going to give you like 20% off your new or renewal subscription. Actually, pretty soon you're going to stop hearing me say that because we have actual sponsors coming on board the podcast this year. Very excited. Anyway, back to Bob Woodman Tire. So uh, if you're listening to this down the road, you saw the, the print version of this in the uh, the May 2015 issue. If you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, you're going to be seeing this in your May 2015 issue of Grassroots Motorsports. This basically all came about when I went and bought a Formula 500, which is one of the dumbest things you, you can do. But, you know, I'm a guy that for my entire sort of competition track autocross life has been driving stuff on street tires or, you know, our compound uh, DOT race tires, which have obviously gotten, you know, better and stickier and, and faster over the years. But there's still a real jump to be made from from those tires, from those you know those DOT legal tires, uh, even though many of them don't even recommend you use them on the street. Um, but there's 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 still a big jump to be made from from those tires to true slicks. So I wanted to talk to somebody about you know look what am I going to have to get used to as a driver, as a tuner. As, as somebody setting this car up, as somebody who's got to go out and, and buy the tires and store them and, and properly, you know, set the car up around them, what's, what's somebody like me going to be, be facing? And also, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I know a lot of folks that you, you walk through most any autocross paddock and, and you see guys who are in classes where slicks are legal and their, their cars are otherwise, you know, cars that have, progressed well beyond what would be capable of, of, of driving on the street anymore, but they're still running, you know, uh, a DOT R compound tire. And you ask them and they're like, well, you know, it's what I'm used to. It's hey, the car works, works good on these. And, and they, 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 they're, they're sort of scared to make that jump to slicks because they, they, they don't sort of understand the technology or what's going to be involved and actually making that jump. So we wanted to, you know, talk to somebody about about what do you do to make to make that jump. And uh, Bob was a great guy to to do it because he sort of services all these types of tires. You know, he does a lot of stuff uh, in vintage racing where they've got guys on everything from you know old reproduction type race tires to modern slicks to modern DOTR tires. Um, 
and everything in between. So you know, it's good guy to talk to to sort of sort of get the full picture on all that stuff. So. Uh, without further ado, let us go off to, oh, uh, one more note, right about the four or five minute mark, things got really, really wonky with the Skype connection, so we just kind of cut it off and uh, and went right back into it. So there's a, a weird little thing where I start apologizing um, in the in the middle for, for that happening, but we, there's no content that's missing, there's just some extra words that we're saying. Um, and that's that's what happened basically. So that's what what got screwed up. So uh, please enjoy. Here is our conversation with Mr. Bob Woodman. Redundant. Um, so uh, you know, let's just go ahead and start. I'm I'm actually working on uh, a, a print story, which is kind of kind of how this, this all came about. Um, and, and actually, to back up even further, here's where this all started. I I went and did something stupid and bought a Formula 500 late last year. Formula 500, um, okay. Yeah, to go autocrossing with. And and this is the first time, you know, in 25 years of of me uh, autocrossing and road racing that I've ever owned anything that runs on slicks you know i've i've always run on on some kind of street tires whether they be you know a true like a 200 treadwear tire like like we're using today in various stock classes or you know a dotr tire like a you know a hoosier or a bfgr1 back in the day or yeah. a 008r so you know i I've, I've got this sort of mindset of a guy that that you know i know how to tune those tires and i know how to drive on them i know what to do and now all of a sudden here i am on slicks and you know do I need to retrain myself, or or is there nothing to worry about? What's what's ah. you know what? Okay. What am I what am I looking at now? Well, um, let's see. A few things. The uh, in general, the the breakaway edge. You know, when when the slick starts to let go, that, that edge is a little sharper. Um, so it's a little more. In, in, with most slicks, it's a little more abrupt breakaway when at the limit than on your generic DOT tires. The highest level of DOT tire kind of negates a fair bit of that. So DOT tires have gotten better and better and better. Uh, and have gotten, I would say the DOT tires have probably gotten better faster than slicks have gotten better. So there's been a dramatic change there in the... the um, so the gap between a DOT tire and a slick has narrowed a fair bit over the over the past maybe 10, 15 years. So now, now construction-wise, I'm guessing most of the slicks out there that people are, are running on are they radials, or is there is there are there still a lot of bias ply slicks out there that people are using? Well, there's there are both. Both still exist, and are and both are still in common use. The, the trend is, is trending towards the radials, obviously, um, but there's still a lot of classes where a bias ply tire is uh, in pretty common use. The uh, Formula 500 is not something that we that we do much work with, so I'm not familiar with. I don't, I don't, I don't blame you. Bias ply or radial. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, it's a. Oh gosh! I, I mean, think it's, it's bias. Honestly. Yeah, it's sitting thirty feet away from me, but I can't, I can't see. I, I mean, they're they're very very light and very very sort of unstructured. So I I believe it is a a, a you know a biased tire. Um, now, since you bring up the lightweight, that's another area where differences can be be really noticeable. Is that because they're so much lighter, 
uh, a really lightweight tire will tend to lock up easier than a heavier tire, just simply from the flywheel effect of a you know a, a, a spike and brake pedal pressure. Um, so a lot of guys will will find that they'll if their car's not set up really well and they get excited, you can end up flat spotting more tires and say, well, you know, they slick flat spot too easy. Well, the truth is they, they flat spot a little easier than a DOT tire, but you lock either one of them up, they'll eventually flat spot and you're locking up the, the slick easier. The slicks do lock easier from a brake spike because they're lighter. That, <laughs> yeah, we just uh, that's what I get for moving my computer around uh, before and not restarting before before yeah. we do something. So, uh, okay, you were you were when we when uh, things went haywire on us, you were you were telling us about uh, some of the differences between bias pies and um, radios as far as being susceptible to flat spots, um, and, and of course, of yeah. co- course, both of them are going to be susceptible to doing doing dumb stuff with the brake pedal and the throttle, but. Any anything we're gonna, you know, pay pay a higher price on with with one or the other? Uh, in, in terms of a higher price, in terms well, of, of, of just of, of just you know, uh, performance drawbacks. And yeah, challenges. and 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 being yeah. you know, is a is is one of them going to recover from from a, from a flat spot a lot easier? Um, the the flat spotting is is easier to initiate with a lighter weight tire. Because the, the the flywheel effect is lower, so most slicks are lighter than most DOT tires. So that's a consideration to, to bear in mind. Uh, the rubber the rubber compound too is can potentially be much much softer and much less uh, um, tolerant of a lockup. So that's a, a another consideration to be had. You know, with uh, with a soft tire comes more grip, but with a soft tire comes a little more uh, a little more tenderness and lack of uh, abrasion resistance, if you will. One thing that I've definitely noticed, you know, just in my short time, you know, driving on slicks now is is the the temperature sensitivity is much much greater on a slick tire as well. With with something like you know a Hoosier A7 or, or Hoosier R7. You you spend less you, you you've got more performance available when the when the tire is out of its desired temperature range. You know you're you're fast right out of the box basically, especially on the autocross tires. But even on some of the DOT road race tires, it's, it seems like you can pull out of the pits and and turn a reasonably fast lap, even when your tires are 10 15 degrees below their optimal temperature. But with the slicks, until you get to that real temperature, they're just not performing at all. That's very true and. And when they go over temperature, they'll tend to go away from you as well. Uh, they're typically the, the compounds are typically targeted for maximum grip over a very finite temperature range. So that's why they're offered in multiple compounds. You'll find most slicks are offered in two, three, four, sometimes as many as five or six compounds, just so that you can optimize for the conditions of car driver and day but that you're, you're correct that they are much more temperature sensitive and uh, you've got to get them within their range before they're really going to perform very well and 
they're not going to perform very well outside of it. So as as far as as far as setting up is is my setup procedure going to be similar? You know, am I am I looking for you know uh, a similar tire temperature across the face of the tire the way the way I am with it? DOT, you know, I'm kind of watching my, my pressure curves throughout uh, you know, a session. Well, no, that's a place where bias and radial dictates uh, more than slick versus DOT. Uh, with a bias ply tire, you're, you, for most cars, you'll get optimum performance by having a very even temperature profile across the tire. And on your 500 car, I believe that's going to be the case. On um, most radial applications, you'll see the best performance with a higher temperature on the inside versus the outside, generally something on the order of 18 to 20 or so degrees, hotter towards the inside edge of the tire than on the outside edge. Also, with the depending on the construction of the tires, again, uh, the um, how stiff the belts are, You'll get less, with the stiffer belts, you'll get less and less uh, ability to tune across the face of the tire with pressure. Um, for instance, the, the old, the, the bias ply tires in general, if you put a lot of pressure in them, say, take it to extreme, say you put 60, 70 pounds of air pressure in the tire, not something you'd ever run on the track, but if you do that and you look at the tire, you can physically see a huge difference in its shape. You do the same thing with a belted radial tire. Uh, you can't tell the difference whether it's got 10 pounds of air, 10, 10 pounds of air in the tire from its shape, or 70 or 80 pounds of air in it, because it doesn't change shape much. Therefore, you don't get as much uh, ability to tune for you know center of the tire temperature versus inside and outside edges. Like typically, we've, we've always learned that a little more. If the tire's cold in the middle, add a couple pounds of air; it'll warm it up in the middle. And uh, the bias ply tires are much more um, tunable in that regard than radials, and that's regardless of whether they're slick or DOT. Although there are very few DOT bias ply tires anymore. Right. So, give me give me some. Uh some hints here as far as tracking tracking wear of of a slick i mean you, you, there's there's no tread necessarily to watch disappear so you can't you know there, there there's wear marks on them but you can't always sort of accurately gauge um you know the, the the actual actual rubber wear from those are you are you just sort of watching your your lap times and when your lap times start to deteriorate your tires are starting to go away or because or, you know on on a car like mine it's a 700 pound car i'm never going to physically wear the the rubber away before before they you know go through enough heat cycles where they've they, they've lost their grip so what am i what kind of cues am i looking for to see when those tires start going away is it just lap times or is there any anything else that might give me an indication yeah a lot of that is very very subjective uh whether well, well, the wear indicators are there on a lightweight car like yours you're never going to wear a tire out before you heat cycle it out um, the uh, the wear indicators are very valid on bigger, heavier cars, and in, in you know when you're running much longer stints, uh, they do give you some very valuable information. Um, but the pickup rubber needs to be removed 
from the area of those wear indicators before you try to take readings on them. Now, we generally use a heat gun and a putty knife to peel away the, the pickup rubber so you've got just your tire that you're measuring rather than the, the little bits and stuff that you've picked up on the track. Uh, and then measure the depth of those wear indicators, and you can you can gather some very valuable information from that uh, in terms of setup. Very much the same way that you would with tire temps, uh, but instead of looking for a, a high tire temp, you're looking for a, uh, a thinner wear indicator that's telling you, well, you're using you're using that part of the tire more than a, a part that's not worn as as far. Uh, but relative to the lightweight cars, heat cycles will will be the determining factor for most most applications. In general, six seven heat cycles is about the serious competitive useful life of a tire of a race tire. Um, you can certainly use it longer than that, but your lap times are going to suffer. You'll have to get them hotter and hotter to get the same level of performance. And it'll be more and more difficult to get that level of heat. And and then within within sort of that useful lifespan, is there is there going to be a break in period, or uh, you know, are most of these things going to be as soon as sort of the mold release comes off, are they ready to go, or or do you need to heat cycle them a couple times before they're at their at their full potential? Well, different manufacturers recommend different stuff, uh, but the in general, the third generally the third or fourth lap on a new set of slicks is the best they're ever going to be. Um, which is, as you said, about, about enough time to get them up to temperature the first time and get the mold release agent scuffed off of them. That's the best they're ever going to be. They'll come back to that and get pretty close for two or three or four more heat cycles. Then they'll start to drop off a little, and then the drop-off will be, depending on the, the formulation of the compound, will be more and more dramatic. Uh, and then they'll drop off to a point where it seems like no matter what you do, you just can't get enough heat in them to, them to make them work. Now going back to the getting heat into the tires for just a moment, some tracks will put more heat into tires than others. Uh, tracks that are very easy on tires, you'll want fresher tires to make them work. But quite often you can take a tire that might seem like it's completely heat cycled out and take it to a track that is putting more heat into tires because of the compound of the or the composition of the asphalt. And that tire will come magically back to life and give you two or three more heat cycles. Uh, a real good example of that uh, has been VIR, which doesn't put a tremendous amount of heat into your tires. You might heat cycle a tire out at VIR, and then the next weekend go to Watkins Glen, which puts a lot of heat into the tires, and the tire comes right back to life, and it's great again for another two or three heat cycles. Conversely, if a tire is a little marginal at Watkins Glen, and you take it to VIR, <laughs> you're going to be gonna dead have right issues, the yeah. <laughs> And then, and then when you're when you're ready to be done with them, just go to Sebring and just just have it out once and for all. <laughs> yeah, just take them to Sebring and, and grind them away. <laughs> So, uh, so how about how about but 
between races and what can we do to to kind of kind of prolong the life and, and make sure that there's no sort of deterioration taking place but between the races and, and even even once once something comes off track for the last time you know during during a weekend what do we want to be doing to to make sure that we're not you know prematurely aging these things before before their time well there's, there's a there's a few uh there's a few factors that are the arch enemy of a compounded tire. Um, one of them is sunlight, and for for that same reason, the ozone is contained in sunlit air. Um, so the best way to keep them keep them preserved as long as you can is keep them in a in a dark place. I, I joke about it. I tell people, you know, the the best place to keep your race tires is in your wine cellar where it's cool <laughs> and dark. Uh, you know, keep keep them out of the sunlight. Keep them away from anything uh, anything that causes ozonated an, an ozonated atmosphere. Uh, Mave welder, yeah. Arc welders yeah. are well known for that. Uh, electric motors that have brushes in them. Anything that's got a brush type electric motor is bad. Keep that away from your tires. Um, so store in your tire if if you've got your your air compressor right next to your, your 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 tires it might be a nice dark cool place but you're not doing any favors because there's a you know high power electric motor right next to them possibly right that's that that may be doing you some damage you can put them in a black plastic garbage bag tie it off the top and you're doing the best you can at that point for most people to keep them protected at that at that point <laughs> What about uh, any of these chemical treatments? Is, is is there anything to any of those, or is it just all snake oil? Well, or, or is it somewhere yeah, in the middle? Yeah. There's a big, there really is a there really is a mixed answer to that if you if you really look at it honestly. It, I'm not aware of any single tire manufacturer that recommends using any of the, any of those products. Um, that's not to say that none of them can do any good on any tire certainly there is some benefit can be had in some regards the danger is that you don't know how deep that's going to soak in and whether it's going to start to deteriorate any of the structure of the tire and my belief is that that's why none of the manufacturers recommend ever using any any of the tire softening compounds because there are so many different formulations that are uncontrollable by the manufacturers, so they don't know what it's going to do to the to the structure of the tire and potentially uh, compromise its structural integrity. And nobody wants that when they're out going fast. My personal experience has been that some of those some of the tire softening compounds can do a great job of getting you another session or two out of an old set of tires. Um, but they're rather labor-intensive in order to get that. It's a lot of work to get an extra one or two sessions out of a set of tires. Uh, just go back to work that day instead and <laughs> <laughs> make enough money to go buy another set of tires. But, but, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's more cost-effective for yeah. most of us. So, all right, so, so, so let's say season ends, I... I, I I park my car next year. I want to run a different class, go a little bit faster. I want to switch from, from street tires to, to true slicks. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not 
never going to drive the car on the street again anyway. It's it's gutted. It's got a full cage. So yeah, I, I've got um, a, a E36 three series or a, a nine eleven. You know something reasonably fast that I've been running on on sticky street tires its whole life, and I'm switching to slicks. What what are what to do over the winter? Yeah, you know what am I going to yeah. start breaking all of a sudden, or or how how am I going to make make these changes? Um, and, and make my first testing sessions on, on these new tires be, be relevant, not just be complete guesswork? Well, great questions. The, um, first and foremost, uh, the slick is going to put a lot more, obviously more cornering grip, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. Uh, therefore, all that, all that increased grip and force is going to be transmitted through all of your suspension points including especially the rubber bushings. Uh, this is an area where, where the, the Delrin bushings or uh, spherical rod ends in place of rubber bushings really comes into play because the stock rubber bushings will be deforming so much that you would lose control of your suspension geometry. So if you're moving from, as you make the progression from a true OE-style street tire through the R-compound tires into the highest level R-compound tires and then into slicks, that becomes more and more critical. And that's every one of your suspension mounting points, whether it's uh, control arm pivots, uh, strut tower mounts, even the strut towers themselves. The things like strut tower braces and camber boxes and the spherical rod ends in the and the control arms become more and more and more important because it, it does you no good to put that extra stick on there and then have your suspension geometry so variable that you end up just running on the corners of it anyway. Um, so that, that's the biggest one that I would recommend to you to, to just keep in touch with all of that um, is try to stiffen up all of those all of the flexible points in your suspension and in the chassis itself as you go to stickier and stickier and stickier tires with the slicks being at the stickiest end of that. What about, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's assume that we've got things sort of stiffened up to where, where you know, I've got, you know, no uncontrollable flex or my, my alignment staying relatively predictable anyway, um, mm -hmm. you know, as much as it can for, for a unibody car or whatever. Um, where am I going to be at uh, suspension and alignment-wise? You know, so one of the things about DOT R compound tires is we're used to running as much negative camber as we can get because they generally, you know, will will react to rolling over pretty well, and 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 most of the cars we drive tend to have a lot of a lot of roll to them, but they also work very well. You know, they they will they will tolerate a lot of ne a lot of static negative camber. Um, is is that same thing going to still be true with the slicks, or do I want to control that camber curve as tightly as possible with those? Well, with any of the tires, you want to control it as closely as possible. With the slicks, it becomes more and more important. Uh, because remember, as, as we talked about earlier, the temperature range that you're running within needs to be kept more and more tightly defined. And if you're running extreme amounts of camber, to allow for all of that body roll, so that you know you've got a flat, you know, a flat um, tread profile against the ground when the body is roll, when the chassis is rolling, 
that inside edge is going to be running extra hot when it's going straight. So it's going to it's going to have your your temperature ranges, your temperature span is going to be much greater, and you need to control that more tightly with the slicks. Therefore, you want to control the chassis roll better. You want to control all of those variables within the suspension geometry better so that you can keep your tread patch as flat as possible or keep the desired amount of camber in it over as wide a range of cornering forces as possible. To that end, generally you're going to end up going to somewhat stiffer springs, uh, stiffer sway bars, and even going to the extent of working with roll center modifications and whatnot to keep to keep the car as level and flat as you can to keep a better platform for those tires to work under. And and generally by the time you, you've modified to the point where slicks are going to be legal in whatever you're doing, you can probably make those, you know, sort of more more global chassis changes and and, and you know not have to worry about, about rules or anything at that point. Well for sure. Uh Slick tired classes generally are more liberal in chassis modifications. You know, one kind of feeds the other. Uh, the rule makers also are, are car guys. Yeah. They understand how cars work. They said, if we're going to put slicks on here, we've got to do these things to make the cars really work. So, what am I going to end up end up spending? You know, if I'm if I'm sort of in that in that position where I'm I'm in an, either a real fast street tire class, is it is there going to be a cost benefit to just say you know what, I may as well take the jump, go to slicks. It, will it be cheaper in the long run to just be able to make those modifications that I'll, I'll, I'll want to make and, 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 and run, on, run on a proper slick? Or, or you know, is there, is, is there sort of any cost benefit to be realized there? Or, I mean, we're, obviously racing is not a cheap hobby, but however you do it. But, uh, you know, do, do you reach a point where, in some of these street tire classes, you just got to say to yourself, you know what, I, I, I may as well be on slicks at this point. Yeah, you really do. Um, there comes a point where in the, uh, you're, you're going through the street tires and getting very little benefit out of the amount of money you're spending where you can spend a similar amount or just very slightly more on slicks and take a fair, fairly significant step forward. Um, Generally, that you know that's that's when you're getting to the point where the the car is overpowering the tires, uh, both perhaps from a horsepower standpoint, but also from your driving skill and your and the driver's ability to extract the absolute maximum out of it. That's the time when you'll generally get more benefit out of going to slicks. Cool. So, well, Bob, thanks, thanks very much for uh, for helping us out. I mean, this has all kind of been in 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 hopes of, of demystifying this for people a little bit because you know, as racers, we get into this certain mindset where we get used to a certain thing, we get we get comfortable with a certain thing, and then you start operating outside that comfort zone, and and you know everything. It's exciting, but it's also a little scary because there you you're you're scared about the stuff you don't know. So you know, it's kind of nice to know that. When you make the jump, it's it's not as intimidating as as, as we thought it was, really. Yep, it's uh, it is always challenging, and it's a, like you said, it's 
it's all a little scary. Hey, if it wasn't scary, we probably wouldn't <laughs> want to do it anyway. <laughs> We're all just a bunch of adrenaline junkies. Exactly. So um, give us a little plug here. Uh, Bob Woodman Tire uh, is is your website, and and you you guys do do everything pretty pretty much as far as if it runs on track. Um, you you well, are we try. yeah. We try. I mean, we've, we've formed our company. Uh, we're coming right up on our 22nd year anniversary right now. Um, and we formed it just specifically to address the needs of racers' tires. Nothing else. Sports car racing, tires, and wheels. Um, and we've got a ton of experience, everything from vintage racing through, you know, the highest levels of, you know, Rolex and IMSA. Um, and, as, you know, as far down on on the other end of it is as autocrossing and uh love every bit of it and the ves all of that stuff um you know we've got a full range of of tires from the, the dot stuff uh even you know tires with a real high tread wear ratings of, of 200 or so for uh for chump car and lemons up through the the most up-to-date slicks for every level um we've got hoosier Pirelli, Yokohama, Toyo, Goodyear, and Falcon. And uh, I try to target. I've tried to target enough product where we can have the best application for the most possible customers. And uh, we really pride ourselves in trying to steer people towards the best product for their use, not necessarily the monkey see, monkey do, or sell you the highest price thing or anything else it's just look at your whole program and help you get on the right tires for where you are and with your car and and the purpose you're using it for how how fast have you guys seen that that lemon and and chum car scene sort of sort of growing with respect to people wanting to be all of a sudden on on real tires well that's really blossomed um you know this you can't be on (laughs) I, I guess it's, it, it depends on your definition of real tires, but <laughs> yeah. or, uh, or or let's say wanting wanting their tire to not be the weakest link on the car at some point. That's for sure. Um, that's why we picked up the Falcon line. It was specifically because that uh, the Xena six fifteen is a great tire for for that use, and uh, a lot of guys want to be on that instead of you know whatever kind of tires were left over on the crap wagon that they started to run. <laughs> uh, and it, you know, that grew out of our, out of our own experience with, uh, you know, with building, building a chump car and running some, some chump and lemons races with guys. And I said, Hey, you know, what's, what's the best tool for the job here? And for the largest variety of cars that I could cover, that was the right one. Um, and, uh, those tires wear like iron and they, they really work like a, like a real race tire, but just at a slightly lower level. Yeah, and, and and it's something you can actually you know go through and do some some real setup with and 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 get some results, which is which is nice. I mean, it, you know, it's it, it 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 it's nice being able to, to to tune a car to use tires properly. Absolutely. So Absolutely. so what's I, I would imagine just to kind of wrap up here. You probably walk through race paddocks all the time, and and what's the what's the biggest thing that drives you nuts that everybody's doing wrong when it comes to comes to comes to their tires the biggest thing that worries me uh, and and I'll say it drives me nuts but it drives me nuts cuz it's putting people in a dangerous situation 
is running in the wrong pressure ranges and particularly running too low in, in pressure. Um, there's nothing that will make a tire fail faster than running it at too low an air pressure under too high a load. Um, it's, it's no different than the tires on our uh, on your trailer on the way to the track. If they run low, they'll run hot. They they tire structure fatigues and then they blow out with catastrophic results. Um, that that worries me more than anything else I see because I. Um, and if and if you're tuning to my that friends point, are all out there racing. Yeah. And I don't want anybody get hurt. And if and if you're tuning to the point where you think those pressures are necessary there's probably some some other thing you're masking by you know by by doing that i would think yeah if you're having to go to that extreme you're probably on the wrong spring rate because the tire pressure is affecting spring rate so you need to need to get a hold of all of that and uh see if you can get the correct overall package on board um and if you're if you've got any question about whether your pressures are too low Talk to us or talk to you know whoever your tire supplier is and your trusted representatives on that, and dismount some tires and look inside them and see if they're getting the beginnings of that fatigue failure because it's it's real and you you can see it coming on the inside of the tire what are you what are you actually looking for inside the tire? you start to get get actual like evidence of separation inside there it, it, it initially the first thing you'll see is uh on the typically on the inside shoulders. That's generally where the where the fatigue failures will start. You start to see a little wrinkling, right? You know, inside the uh, inside the tire, kind of down in the corner underneath where the inner shoulder would be, and then that'll that'll grow from that. And uh, a lot of us have seen uh, you've seen tires that you take off that have run way too low in air pressure, and you'll see kind of abrasion inside what looks like abrasion inside the tire, and then eventually separation. And you know, bliss, uh, blistering is the wrong word, but but forming bubbles, forming voids in the uh, in the structure, um, and that's that's the sign that man, you're too low, and and failure's coming. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just waiting for the right just when just waiting for the right moment, and the right day, uh, when when everything conspires to make it as bad as possible, and then it'll fail. Yeah, and the, <laughs> and the other exciting thing is, you know, there, a, a tire is going to normally fail at, you know, in the highest load you're going to put put on it, which is generally the fastest, scariest turn on any given racetrack. So that's always nice yep. to know. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, the, the place where we see the scariest stuff happen is Daytona. And we could do a whole article about just setting up for Daytona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so different from everywhere else. Yeah, because you, you have you have such, you know, Different different uh, load paths going into the cars than than they're normally accustomed to. I mean, they, for the first time I ever ran there, just the the fact that you know I was looking through the, the top of the windshield for half the lap made me realize, wow, like like the demands this places on a car are so different than anywhere else that it's crazy. That's exactly right, and that's that's why we see a lot of uh, you know a lot of guys that run they run all over the country, and they say, well, this is the setup I always run, and they go to Daytona and tear the fenders off the car. And I said, well, what do you mean? What? My, my tire failed. I said, well, mm, your tire failed, yes, but your setup is causing it to fail. You failed your tire, sir, is what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> All right. You failed to set up for the situation. Bob Woodman, thank you very much for hanging out with us for a little bit. I'm going to stop recording here and make sure we hit save, but uh, check check out BobWoodmanTires.com. They are a longtime supporter of, of both of our magazines. Love having them on board. Great, great knowledge base. So, um, Bob, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you very much. We've really uh, it's been a, it's been a great relationship for a lot of a lot of years, and I'm certain it will be for a lot of years to come. All right, folks, there you go. There it is. There's our chat with Bob Woodman. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Hope uh, you're now, if you've ever thought about going to a true racing slick, uh, I can. I can heartily recommend it. the The experience is is incredibly fun. It is much less intimidating than you think it's going to be. Um, as far as the actual the actual driving part, you have you have sort of all this contact patch to work with, and it's just it's just there to provide grip and feedback. and And it's it's really not the uh, the sort of edgy experience that that. Um, you know, I was I was thinking it would be. I mean, there's the characteristics are noticeably different, but it's it's really not as not as scary as you might think. So uh, that is it. Hope you enjoyed it. Grassrootsmotorsports.com slash discount. Classicmotorsports.net slash discount. Actually, classicmotorsports.com slash discount works now just fine too because we bought classicmotorsports.com finally after all these many years. Uh, have a great uh, couple of weeks. We'll be back in a week and a half or so with another podcast. Actually, good one coming up. Uh, getting you guys ready for Track Night in America, which is a, a very, very cool program the SCCA is rolling out. So that's going to be the uh, the focus sort of of the next podcast here we're going to be doing. And that's coming out. I, I think we got that kind of locked in on uh, Friday, the 3rd of April, right right on, on there, because there's some other promotion uh, going on with that, because we're, we're really excited about this Track Night in America thing, and um, we're, we're the, you know, the official media partner, and, and definitely on board with it. It's it's a very cool thing. So, thanks to Bob Woodman. Uh, thanks to all you guys for listening. This is JG, Pastor Jack. This is the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.